You're listening to Spartan Up Podcast. We're going to interview somebody every week from all over the world and see what they did in their life to become successful, no matter how they defined it. Hey, we're here for the Spartan Up Podcast. We are in one of the many barns at Pittsfield, Vermont. And um, this is a really interesting one today. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to introduce my, my our panel, not my panel, it's Joe's panel, really. Joe, who's not with Marian. us today. Uh, our producer, Marion, behind the camera, um, who always does such a great job putting this together. One of the things she's done today, in her wisdom, is brought in a replacement for Joe, who's away, in Mark Webb. Mark, you're uh, visiting us from New Hampshire, I believe. Yeah, glad to be here. It's, I'm not sure whether it's less or more stressful to be this side of the camera. And if you've <laughs> ever, ever wondered what a New Hampshire <laughs> accent sounds like, it's that. Exactly this is exactly New Hampshire, And, Mark, Hampshire, born and, and if you ever want to know more about Mark, we've actually done a podcast with him. That's true. Yeah, he, he has been a, a guest on our show before and, uh, and has a legend. great story himself. Uh, speaking of legends. So am I. I don't get to be a legend. <laughs> I defer to a few, you. A few more years. You'll uh, retired comfort. Colonel Nye is uh, with us today. Um, I, I am going to call Sephra a legend. Sephra, you're certainly a legend in our minds. <laughs> least, you really are. At least I got three. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so Sephra, who's actually uh, mentioned uh, earlier today, she said, you know, it seemed in the earlier episode she had a very clear identity as like a rewilding expert. That was a really cool title and the forager. And uh, and she said this year she feels like she's still that's still sort of taking form and shape. So we'll see where, how it ends up by the end of the season. Well, so. you guys are rewilded. So now now I need now I need now I need a new task. <laughs> that's right. And I need to stand closer to my. And mind. I'm going to keep, keep my old mind. title, which is Doctor Johnny. And uh, I'm not really a doctor. I've mentioned that before, but Joe likes to call me that. So, but I want to go to this um, uh, episode. Pretty intense. Yeah, very intense, and 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 actually quite seriously intense. And I just want to mention to people. I mean, of course, we want everyone kids. to watch, and we want um, you to take everything you can from these podcasts. Just this one. Make sure either that you're sitting down, or if you're very um, queasy, rated R. Somebody with a very um, sensitive constitution that that maybe you think about this it's it's definitely very graphic and um this is a, a story of survival and an incredible person uh jennifer gilbert that we're going to go meet now um but it isn't the light the um heart. subject matter we sometimes have it's this a pretty serious uh, situation episode so uh watch it with your judgment and we'll be back to discuss it we are here for spartan up podcast with jennifer gilbert at the success laboratory got a lot of successful stuff there <laughs> what, what's going on here What's the name of your company? Save the Date? Save the Date. And you've been putting on events all over New York? Yes. For 21 years as my own company and three years before for someone else. Even beyond New York? Even beyond New York, yes. All over the world. How hard has it been to build a business? It's Um, hard. It's brutal. I mean, it's business. No matter, I'm I'm in the business of event planning and I, I went into event planning for a specific reason, but when I started, you know, I was, oh God, I just said, hey, oh, my company is in line. So I was 25 when I started. Um, what, what, let's stop there. How, yes. What prompts you to do that? I uh, went to school in Vermont and yeah. I studied business and then I moved to London for a year. Um, I had been home for about maybe not even a week and I got out of the subway and I walked maybe the four or five blocks until I found my friend's street. Um, and I rang the doorbell and I'm waiting and I heard a noise and so I turned my head down to look down the corridor and there was somebody coming and I thought it was actually quite odd my first impression because he was casing the wall so he was leaning up against the wall and he was going to literally knock me over 
And I thought, he's definitely not going to the apartment I'm going to. So Why is he on the wrong side of the hallway? Right. Right. This all... Quickly so, going through your head. Yeah. So I, something was funny. So I rang the doorbell again a couple times like, okay, I'm here. And I turned my head again and he was coming down the hallway and his head was down, but his eyes were up like this. So I saw this. And Joe, when I tell you that I saw like hate, it wasn't drugs. It wasn't like sexy. It was hate. And I sort of did this like involuntary shudder. And um, the next thing I know is I feel like boom in my head once first and then about four times in succession very quickly. And then I was like, <gasps> and I thought in my mind, oh my God, this is New York. I'm getting robbed. He wants my bag. So I threw my purse as far away from me as I could, thinking, take it. And um, the next thing I know, I am on the ground, and this man is on top of me with his hand on my chest, and he is just punching me, trying to get my face, and punching me, and I am screaming at the top of my lungs, and I'm Literally, I have my hands up. I mean, I still have some scars in between my hands, but I have my hands up trying to block my face, and I'm moving. And as I'm moving, he's just punching. So I was screaming, oh, my God, to my friend, Andrea, help me. Oh, my God, somebody help me call the police. I'm screaming the whole time. And then all of a sudden, I feel my leg and this one did not feel like a punch. I felt something actually like going inside. And so I, I, I was sort of thinking out loud and I was screaming, oh my God, he's stabbing me. And what I had not um, realized was that he wasn't punching me the whole time, but there was a screwdriver in his hand. hand. So my face and my head, there was a screwdriver Everything, everything's bleeding at this point. I don't even feel anything. I just right. felt it go into my flesh. Right. And I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm being attacked, like I'm being stabbed. And I'm right. screaming, call the police. Oh my God, Andrew, he's stabbing me. Open the door, open the door. Big guy? Big guy. At least 250. Right. Um, and, um, you know, he had his shirt tucked into It's a pants. pretty big deal. I had a guy, not to interrupt this amazing story, I had a guy the other day on the plane had a stroke on top of me. Oh and God. I tried to pick him up. He's probably 225. I couldn't get him up. So you have a 250 pound guy on top of you yes. attacking you. It's a pretty big deal. Like He's literally like, on top of me holding me down right. and just punching and stabbing. And at one point, I must have looked up and my friend that was in her apartment, you know, the windows were open or the air conditioning made music on. She didn't hear me. Opens the door and she said she saw me lying in a pool of blood with um, a man on top of me just doing like this. And she freaked out and slammed the door. So somehow I knew, like, I got to get in that apartment. Right. I, I don't know how, but I got... It, because prior to that, you didn't know if anybody was in there. I knew she was in there. Right. Because she was expecting me. I just was like, where are they? Right. I'd never been to the apartment before. I didn't know what the situation was. and. Right. 
somehow I was able to get this man off of me. And she remembered, she left me out there, came back, she opened the door, and when she opened the door this time, I was on my feet, and I pushed the door open. And I went into the apartment, and I thought, of course, I'm safe. And I hear her screaming, what are you doing here? What do you want from us? And I turn around, and he's in the apartment, coming after me. And I'm like, I'm dead. Like, this man is going to kill me. And at that point, I didn't have my skirt on. So I thought, okay, does he want to rape me? Like, I'm still trying to figure out what's happening here. Right. Um, my skirt had just come off sort of in the struggle when he was um, stabbing me. Yeah. So I'm now running down this long hallway. And I maybe have, I don't even know, a partial second. Like, my foot is up, his foot goes down. And as I'm running, I am taking everything I can find and literally throwing it behind me. I remember there was like a marble chess set. I mean, I'm looking for like a pen, a knife, and anything as I'm running. Right. And I'm running, and there's just a square room. Like, there's nowhere for me to go. So um, I got up on the sofa, and I had my leg out, because all I could think of is like, I got to kick him in the groin and try to like, incapacitate him. Yeah. So I'm on the sofa, and I kick, and he grabs my legs my leg that was up and he spins me around on the sofa and he sits on my stomach facing my feet and I, I couldn't feel anything I was in overdrive but I saw like um, my blood all over the white sofa and uh, he was trying to get in between my legs with a screwdriver right. so <clears throat> I was clenching my legs together as hard as I could, and I was screaming, and I was punching, and I was fighting. Um, and I was just screaming, somebody help me, somebody call the police, like I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And all of a sudden, he stops, gets up, and he runs out. And I hear the door slam. And I mean, this whole thing was minutes, five, six, seven, I don't know, it was minutes from outside to in the hall to in the. Um, and when the door shut, I knew he was gone. And I stand up really calmly. And I have now like blood just dripping everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And I'm like wiping it off, and my skirt is off and my shoes are still on and there was so much blood there was so I had lost so much blood and um, I went to the front door and I locked the door and I pounded on my friend's door because I forgot when I ran in and he ran after me she, she went in there she locked herself in a bedroom yeah um, and I didn't find out until years later that there were five women in that other room you didn't, even, you didn't even see them didn't even see them right and they all ran out Right. Um, so I was, I mean, I thought I was on my own once I knew Peggy locked, Andrea locked the door. Right. Sorry, I have to say Andrea. Yeah. Um, and um, so she opened up the door and she just sees me, you know, a mess. And she starts shrieking. And I'm very calm. And I said, stop crying. Call the police. Call an ambulance. Call my parents. Then I was like, but don't tell them what happened. Just tell them I have a couple of scratches and I got into an accident. Right. 
Right. And all of a sudden, my hand was on the wall, and I was like, whoa, what just happened? I was like, what, what just happened? Did this right. just really happened? And I laid down on the ground. Do you faint? No. Um, she calls, she's calling 911. I'm laying on the ground, and um, I asked her, you know, did he get my face? And she said, I don't think so. Um, however, um, I had about six or seven like holes in my scalp, and my ear was ripped off, and my neck was bleeding badly. Um, and I said, did he get in between my legs? And she said, I don't know, there's so much blood. So wow. I was like, okay. And I'm laying there, and um, the door opened again. Obviously, it's a shock at that point, right? You I mean, I'm lying on the ground, right. and it was one of the women who lived in the building, her brother and her father, who lived upstairs. Heard so they the went screaming. to go get help, I okay. think, or they heard the screaming. And I said, he's already gone. And they bolted. And they had, like, baseball bats or something. And I'm lying on the floor, and I, I'm kind of in shock now. I'm like, what just happened? Did this just happen to me? What just happened? I mean, I'm in total shock, but I'm not crying. Um, I didn't faint, and the ambulance comes, and um, you know they put me on the on the rolly bed, and I walk come out of the building. It's like bright, blinding sunshine, and there's all these people outside now because the ambulance and the people were running, and the guys on the bikes I found out later had run after him, um, and I got into the ambulance, and. Um, I thought, I'm dead, I'm gonna die right now. And I, um, I looked at the ambulance driver and they said, <clears throat> tell, me, tell my family I love them. And I was thinking, it's okay, I've had a good life, just went to Europe, like, this is it. And he's like, four inches from my face, it was like a movie, he's like, hang on, hang on Jenny, stay with me, you know, stay with me keep talking, keep talking, where were you? And I, I was just trying to, you know, say like London and countries and we get into the ambulance and um, I hear multiple stab wounds, stat, and I have like four doctors over just running with me down the hallway and I'm by myself on this bed and I'm like, what is happening here? And I still am awake. They put me on the chair with the surgeons and, and they're cutting my clothes off because they couldn't tell like what anything was and they said to me, where were you, where were you stabbed, where were you hit? And I said, everywhere, I said my, my, ne my neck, my back, my legs, my stomach, my head, in between my legs maybe. And um, the doctor said, okay, we're gonna take care of you. And I looked at him and I said, I'm gonna go now and I passed out. Mm. And like I kept it together to tell them. Right. And then I was done. Right. And I thought I'm gonna go now meant like I'm gonna go, right. like, I'm done. Yep. And I had some weird moments in that. That's story book number two. Yep. Um, and then, but I remember it all. What's interesting is I remember every single second of that attack, everything but I don't remember the pain. 
and I don't remember what I looked like for a year after. I have no memory of looking in the mirror. I have no memory of my scars even, I don't remember. But um, when I, I remember when I was sort of coming back, I remember smelling and then hearing. And then I opened my eyes and I looked and I said, I'm here. Like, I was so shocked and bad, like, I said, I'm here, and then I knew I was going to be okay. I knew, whatever it was, I was going to be okay. And, um, and then how long does it take to recover from that? Well... I mean, not just the physical recovery, because, yeah, right? I'm still recovering. Right. Um, but, um, I mean, I was, I was bed-ridden for a while. I couldn't, I couldn't um, walk. The downstairs or but walk. you didn't I mean it wasn't that long ago it was 22 years ago yeah and, and you've built a massive business you've been incredibly successful you've got young children that are doing great and so you didn't just bury your head in a pillow I hope you're not sitting still while you listen if you are you better get a burpee break in so you didn't just bury your head in a pillow no, um, I didn't. After, after I recovered physically, I actually moved to Boston, which was kind of random, for a couple of months just because I couldn't handle being like New York. poor, poor, poor. No. Okay. Oh, poor. I, I right. couldn't. They didn't know you in Boston. They didn't know me. I was anonymous. Also, right. people don't know how to deal with anything bad. Right. So they, they say things that they think are helpful, which in actuality really are not. Right. Like, at least you're not dead. Like, check, I get it, but I was 22 and this right. kind of sucks. Right. Or at least he didn't rape you. Well, okay, but people that are raped say, well, at least he didn't attack me. So right. I don't know. There's no worse in this situation. It's just bad. bad. Yeah. Um, and so I took off and um, I moved to Boston and I lived in a house of strangers. I literally tore a roommate needed. I don't even know where my head was, but I wanted to be anonymous. And then I remember there was a really pivotal day that I was in Boston laying in my bed, sort of looking out the window. And it was raining, but everybody was going somewhere, to school, to work, and I'm laying in this bed. And I thought, God, this is not my fabulous life. This is not the life that I thought I was gonna have. And if I sort of deviate my plan, like a centimeter off course, and he may as well have killed me. And I thought, you know what? You picked the wrong girl. And like that was the day I woke up sort of for good. I packed up my stuff. I moved back to New York. And like, had somebody talk to you or it just, it just hit you on your own like a lightning bolt and you said? No, I never went to therapy. I didn't talk to anybody. It was just, I needed to just breathe. Like right. I needed to be alone and literally just breathe and sort of absorb and I think, you know, whatever made me resilient in that moment of fighting, because you don't know how you're going to react. Like, I didn't know that I would fight, you hope, but my girlfriend didn't ever think she'd lose her voice, and she did. So you don't know who you are in that minute. But whoever that girl was, was somebody inside of me forever, and it was the same girl that was there in Boston that was like, get up, get up, and move forward this, I, I've been listening to you thinking how do I say this without it ruining the um, massive incident it was but you know three or four hundred years ago right 
we all had the capability to deal with that, right? We went out, stuff like this happened. So-and-so got eaten by a lion, whatever. Right. And, and, um, but it doesn't happen very often. We don't face obstacles like that. And most people couldn't handle what you handled and certainly wouldn't respond the way you responded, which is he's not knocking me off course. I'm, I'm getting right back at it. How can people get to, I mean, that's the whole Spartan Up philosophy, right? How do, how do people tune in to what you tuned into? Because um, it's there. Everybody's wired that way. Yeah. I think that truly we've lost our way in some sense that people are motivated by fear. And that is the worst emotion to make a decision from, A. But B, fear is so tricky because it's overshadowing what we know we have inside. And I think it's very powerful if we engage in fear and we let it take over instead of really just, you know, centering and remembering, like, we have the power every day to change our own life. And You're saying fear drove you to Boston. I th no, I don't, fear did not drive me to Boston. I, um, I refused to let it make me afraid. I mean, to me, if I had moved to Iowa with my family and never left, people would have said, okay. In right. fact, I packed up from my family home and moved to another city so that I could sort of try out the like, I don't want to be in that victim place. Like right. the, my name and victim in the same sentence was like gross. Right. And um, you know, people say to me, well, you're a survivor. Okay, I mean, I don't really love that word because the survivor is something that like happens to us that we are basically like living through. I mean, I'm a warrior. Right. Like I fought and I'm here. And so Spartan would be that, a, would be a term we use. Yes. So you're, you're Spartan. And so that was for me. Right. I was not going to let fear dictate my life. Right. And I decided though, instead of going back and going into Wall Street, I realized um, that life is about the moment. And on that day, I really thought that I lost my joy. So what was next? You're back, you're back, you packed up, you came back to New York, yeah. then what? So I thought, well, I, I'll never feel joy again, because my soul is gone, that's what right. I thought, but I will spend the rest- You're mad at that point. I was mad. Right. Oh, I ran from FU Energy for a very long time and it suited me. Right. Um, until it didn't, but yes. Um, but I thought I have to spend the rest of my life around people celebrating. And I need to make that happen for other people and that will be fulfilling. So I was like, who celebrates? Who has parties? Who, who celebrates this moment and today? Because I want that. Right. And so there was no party planning industry back then. There was no certificates or college courses. I mean, it was like, how do I figure this out? And um, so I, I found a very small job at a small company and um, I started there. And then worked up and now you're running a pretty large shop, putting parties on all around the world and making people happy. Yep, we have a $30 million business. Wow. Um, yeah, and it's great and I, uh, but this was a big secret for a very long time. What you just told us, the story. Yes. Yeah, the attack. Once I moved back to New York, I never talked about it again. 
ever. Like when I was in Boston, I was packing this up and I was leaving it there. So when I drove back to New York, it was a smile and it was my business suit and my red lipstick was my armor and I was like, done. Go out But they say a lot of successful people compartmentalize that way, right? Just close it off, that's done, I'm moving forward, not backward. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, first of all, the mind is amazing and only lets you deal with what you can when you're ready. Um, And B, it was like yuck. The whole thing to me was yuck. And I didn't want to be like, Victim, and I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. And I, you know, I always say you can't move forward if you're looking in your rearview mirror. Yeah. So, like, forward was the only place I was going. Um, and then finally, about two years ago, I wrote a book mm. because something was changing in my personal life. And uh, I wrote a book called I Never Promised You a Goodie Bag. That plan like on a goodie bag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for the first time, hit. it was a big hit. And, but I had to send an email to like 50 people. That didn't know the story. I mean, no one knew, but 50 of my very good friends. But right. I'm really sorry I didn't tell you. Because um, you don't really understand me unless you know the story. Sure. So I was compartmentalized in my right. own life. Sure. Um, but I, I just couldn't talk about it. How'd it feel? Get it out there. <sighs> I mean, you still tear up as you're telling the story, Which right? Which is very so. rare, rare for me. Yeah. I normally don't feel it. Personally, normally yeah. it's a video screen that I'm. Um, it felt vulnerable, right. and you know. Why? Pe- because do you feel like uh, why me kind of thing, like uh, not somebody else? I felt why me for a while when yeah. I was 22, and then you get over it because it doesn't matter. You're here. This is it. Like right. I can't separate that experience versus the hundreds I've had since. It's part of the fiber of who I am. So you just take it and build and keep going, and you know it. it you you relearn that you are capable. Each person, I am capable of whatever's going to come, and I will stand up and I will fight it. Yeah, it works. It works for me. You, you got it done. And there's going to be a second book. It yeah. sounds like. Unless <laughs> we're gathering that, but yeah. So you know, it was. It's been quite a ride, and uh, you know, I had never talked about what happened, so people never knew. Like, I would have been in business in anything, and I would have done okay. But what my business came out of was something really horrible, dark, and ugly. And I chose to make my life around beauty and love and celebration and joy. And it worked. And it feels good. Did you see um, not not too long ago? Uh, Tesla's ex-wife wrote a story on extreme success and what's which required somebody asked, how do, how do you become like Bill Gates or, or Tesla or, or um, Elon Musk? Uh, and um, her answer was, typically those people have faced some extreme obstacle roadblock, figured out a way to get through it, and then just push forward in life. They don't waste any time. Um, it comes at massive expense. Yes. Um, sounds like your story. I mean, I think, you know, resiliency and perseverance. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're born with some of those traits. Some of them are fostered through your life, um, and I think you can add things in your life competitively, physically, to challenge yourself and keep those sort of um, mechanisms alive. I mean, I taught myself after my attack how to run. I was never a runner, but it was really important to me after this to be able to run far and fast, and in those last that last mile of my run, every single time when I was dying and wanted to give up, I sprinted. 
I killed myself. I sprinted because I could and because I had to and because I was going out faster than when I came in. Yeah. And, you know, not everyone would do that, but I had to. You know, the biggest lesson that I learned, again, was you cannot control one thing in this world. I mean, I'm in the illusion of control in a party planning business, but like it can rain on your parade, sure. you know? Sure. This is the only All you can control is who you are mm. afterwards and how you deal, and that is it. Right. And like you have the choice of the road to go like towards the light or to stay in the dark, and that is up to you. That was you awesome. Made that was a choice to teach it. That was awesome. I just want everybody listening that didn't watch to know that our camera person fainted during this interview. That was a great interview. Bravo. So Jennifer Gilbert, that um, an amazing woman, mm -hmm. really a, a remarkable story of uh, you know great determination and all those kinds of things. Really, really, probably you know resiliency is would be her hallmark, but. There's a couple of things in there. One, one you talked about up front before we, we kind of went and listened to the interview about uh, listening to the story um, and maybe watching it with someone else if you were a little bit uh, nervous or queasy kind of thing. But if you've watched that and, and you were impacted by it the same way I was, I would encourage you then to go out and share it with mm -hmm. as many people because I think that's a powerful story. And, and she uh, didn't like to call herself a survival, yep. uh, survivalist or survival or survivor, excuse yeah. me. But I mean, that, that's the term that most people would use, right? So at least, uh, so there's that. And then uh, backstory here a little bit real quick is, Marion, I guess, uh, Marion behind the ca camera here that most of you know, uh, got a little queasy listening to that. And she's, and she's, so, she's a tough cookie, Marion. She, she is, she yeah. is, but she, you know, uh, emotion can be different than physical, right? Mm -hmm. So she started to go down, and our hero, uh, Joe, sprinted out of the room to go get a camera to capture the whole thing on camera. So anyway, we didn't get to see all of that. But, uh, if it's not captured, it didn't happen. Yeah, so. exactly. So yeah. without pics, it's not Action true, Action right? alleviates anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> yeah referencing a, 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 a former bit of right, so that's, you know, So what did, what did you guys uh, pick up on this? Well, yeah, you know, Mark and I were just discussing a minute ago, um, and I, I want to bring this into this conversation um, Carol, I, you had said um, that you found it interesting that she sort of did her own therapy, that she didn't go out and, right. and seek formal therapy. And, um, and Mark, you said that you, you kind of get that because you, with your incident. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm not even gonna translate what I, what I went through yeah. with what Jennifer has is like 10,000 times mm -hmm. uh, as, as bad and, and I can handle some stuff and that was harrowing for myself. But yeah, I went through the same, the same cycles. I was getting sympathy and I didn't like it and I mm -hmm. eschewed that and, and, and Jennifer did the same thing uh, in, in her move to Boston. Yep. And the other thing that was a big parallel uh, was, and, and you know, she said it lasted maybe seven minutes, 10 minutes or something like that, that she was doing a job the whole time. Mm -hmm. And you never know what's in you until something happens. Yeah. But the entire time she's fighting, even when the paramedics come, even when she's in the ambulance, she's mm -hmm doing a job mm -hmm. and it's only at the very end when uh, I guess one of the doctors says we've got you yeah. that she decides okay I can check out now yeah and I thought that was amazing there was just some some inner resilience that she probably had no clue she had mm -hmm. that surprised her during that and and that struck me and, and I remember feeling like a fraction of that but the same thing yeah and I see a parallel with that in terms of you know she talks about that after the the um, incident for the longest time, she didn't want to talk about it. She was just keeping it 
in and, and didn't want to be that person, actually moved away so nobody would know who that's who she was and didn't want to be a victim, didn't want to be a survivor. And yet... She wanted to be a warrior. Well, yeah. And, and, and so, so the job for her she at that point warrior. was protecting herself. And then she got to a point where she suddenly was able to express it and share it. And she realized that now there's a new job to do. And that new job was to actually be of service to the world in terms of taking this bad thing and turning it into a, a, a lesson where other people could be empowered as well. I thought that was really great. She said she ran off FU energy for a while. And, and more than a couple of times I've heard people's stories where they're just like, they just want to be out there and just doing it because they can, and they need to almost use that energy to clear some things out of their mind. And, and I really like how she said, um, for a while it was lipstick and smiles were her armor. And, and, and that kind of, that, that, that brought me back to thinking of the, the Cornell coaches when they're saying, even when you're in pain, right? Put a smile on your face because it's not that other people, if, if you were sad, it's that sympathy thing, right? If, you, if you're in that state, people are gonna pray, not prey on you to give you sympathy, but, but almost be enticed to, people respond to what you put out there. It's like the yep. concentric rings, once the thought's been thought, and a lot of what you put on your facade is what's gonna come back to you. I, I was, I'm fascinated that she can recall what happened with such clarity mm -hmm. and it seems to me that there are those people that when a traumatic event happens they can remember it that way like time slows down you've heard and they can kind of mm -hmm. walk you through it and then there's people where when a traumatic event happens they have no memory of it like yeah. giving birth. with save the date i think it's great that she said once she finally had processed this and was ready to move on she said she felt like she'd lost her joy and lost her ability to have joy and that was such an important thing for her when she sort of relearned how to be joyful. She said, I want to surround myself with people in joyful situations. And I talk a lot joy about being a consumer versus a producer. And mm -hmm. she was like, so you can go and consume joy and do things that are going to make you happy. But she actually wanted to be a producer of joy. She said, I'm going to create situations that not only make me happy, but the people around me. And that's a very, very powerful way of being. We hope you enjoy the episode. To find more show notes, audio, and video, please visit us at spartanuppodcast.com slash 093. Thank you for listening to another epic story of success. The Spartan Up Podcast is brought to you by Spartan. Isn't it time you found your true north? Sign up for Spartan X. Spartan.